Amen. All right, go ahead and grab a seat. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles on the back table. Um, can y'all guess what book we're going to be in tonight? Oh, wait, no. I heard some wrong answers. There. Try again. What book are we going to be in tonight? First John. Yes, the Bible. Thank you. There's always one in the crowd. There we are going to be in the Bible, but specifically, we are going to be in First John. So I asked this question earlier. Are y'all really not excited about school next week? No. What's that? You don't want to do that? Well, that's okay. Well, here's the thing. You ready to go back to school? But you're graduated. You don't go back. Okay. Those of you that graduated, how many of you are glad you have a few more weeks before whatever you're doing next starts, whether it's school, work, whatever it is? Okay. Okay. So y'all are glad you got a little bit of downtime. That's, that's good. Well, let me tell you this. I'm not going back to school next week, so I'm excited for you. I, it's easy when I don't have to go, but I'm, I'm excited for you because I, I'm sitting here thinking about all of the new things that happen when, when school starts up. For instance, okay, show of hands, how many of you are getting any kind of new school clothes whatsoever? Couple of you? Okay. There's a few of you. How many of you are getting like a new backpack? Like two of you? Man, man, golly. Yeah. What's that? I know I absolutely agree. I, do, I don't, I'm, I'm not a fan of buying something brand new every single year. Um, I mean, just sew the backpack together and you're good to go and you just keep right on rolling, right? Miss Kathleen doesn't like that plan. How many of you get to go to a new school next week or in the next couple weeks? What's that? You live in yours. Okay. Yeah. So you're not going to a new school at all. Okay. So then this next one doesn't apply to you either. How many of you are going to have new teachers starting next week or in the next couple weeks? How about new classes? Okay, that's all of you. Okay, by the way, even if you're homeschooled, you're all starting new classes. So that's every single person in this room. There's all kinds of new stuff that's going to happen. For some of you, she's going to heckle me all night long. I just know it. For some of you, you're going to be trying new sports. You're going to be trying new clubs, new activities. You might be going to new schools. Maybe you'll meet new friends. There's all kinds of new things that happen when school starts. I told you she's going to do it all night long, but that's okay. She's cute enough. We can let it fly. But here's the thing. With a new school year, you also have the opportunity to start over. You have the opportunity to do all new things. You can approach this year differently. If you had a great year last year, awesome. You might have a great th year this year. If your year last year was horrible, maybe you've got the opportunity to start over and change that. There are so many chances that you have at a brand new school year of things that are new, things that are starting over, things that can change. But one of the things we also have to be thankful for when it comes to new starts is the fact that there are also things that don't change. For instance, for many of you, you're going to have the same family you had last school year. Maybe that's not a good thing for some of you. It depends on your opinion. I don't want to show a hands on that one. But you're going to have the same family. That's going to be constant, right? Many of you are going to have the same friends that you've always had. People that you know, people that you can count on, people that you trust. For many of you that have been here for any length of time, guess what? You're going to have the same church family. So in the midst of all this change, there are some things that stay the same. And sometimes we need to be reminded that when life is changing, when life is crazy, when life is, life is hectic and exciting and new things are happening, sometimes it's good to be reminded that there are some things that are constant. There are some things that never change. And as we get into the book of 1 John tonight, that is exactly what we're going to see. 
When we get into this book, we're going to see that there's a couple things, especially in this first chapter, that as John starts talking about this, or we'll get into that for a se- in a second, but as he starts walking through this book, we're going to see in the very first chapter, I'm going to tell you right now, there's two things that we see, and you can go ahead and if you take notes, you can write them down right now. The two things that we see that are constant, that never change, are these. Jesus is real, and Jesus calls us to pursue holiness. Those never change. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what life you choose from this point forward, what classes you take, what friends you have, what teachers you have, what school you're at. None of that changes those two truths. Jesus is real, and Jesus calls us to pursue holiness every single day. And we see that in the first 10 verses of this book. And we're going to walk through the whole book as we go over the next couple weeks. So before we get into the book and what we're going to talk about tonight, you know I like to ask you questions. Every time we study a book, I think it's important to know something about the book. So let's start with what should be an easy question. Who wrote the book? John. Do you want to know that that's actually a trick question? It's actually the book itself is anonymous. That, do you know what other book in Scripture is that way? Anybody? It's in the New Testament. Nope. I was going to say, the adults are saying it over here. It's the book of Hebrews. When we, John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, there's actually no author claimed in the book. In fact, you'll see in verse 1, we don't get a normal greeting like we see with Paul, where Paul says, hey, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle, I serve Jesus Christ, hey, I want you to greet these people, these other people tell you hello. That doesn't happen here. Now, tradition tells us that John is the one that wrote all of these books, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. What are the other two books that we, that we know he wrote? Revelation. And? 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Revelation, and what? John. Yeah, okay, good. Man, I was hoping y'all were going to get that one. Don't leave me hanging and disappoint me. You gave me like a little heart attack right there. Um, the reason, even though, hey, even though this book, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, even though all three of them are anonymous, they're credited to John because what scholars have found is they've gone through and studied these books. The way these books are written, a lot of the verbiage, some of the phrases, some of the topics are similar to the books that we know John wrote. So traditionally, these books are credited to John as having written these letters. When do we believe or think that he might have written this book, First John? Yes, more specific. A long time ago. (laughs) A really long time ago. Give me some years. When do you think it was written? Not you looked it up, didn't you? Good job. Uh, No, I wouldn't do that. Sometimes we call that using your resources. Good use of your resources. Yeah, it's around 90 to 95 AD. So yes, if you said a long time ago, you're right. But more specifically, those years. Who do we believe that it might have been written to? What's that? Believers. believers. Yeah. We believe this was, this was written to believers, probably most likely because of where we see John's other writings. Um, we think it might have been, been written to maybe a church in Ephesus or around Ephesus. We don't know that exactly, but that's our best guess. Does anybody know what the main idea of this book is? What's that? Now you're getting into the why. What's the main idea? What's the thing or what are the things that we see coming up again and again in this book? Any guesses? And this is total guess on your part at this point because I haven't told you any of it yet unless you've read it. 
Walking in the light? You're starting to read the scripture right there. Okay, that's good. Is it that? Well, that's part of the main idea of what's happening here. You want me to tell you so you know for next time? What's that? Happiness and holiness? What are they? Happiness, holiness, and what? And security? Well, I will tell you this. Very few times will you see Scripture telling you that an important thing for you is your happiness. So that's not a bad answer, but when you read through Scripture, that's not typically what we see. The things that, that you see, that you'll see over and over as we walk through this, it's three different ones. It's truth, obedience, and love. Truth, obedience, and love. Now, those three things do play into your happiness. Those three things do play into those other things that, that Laura talked about. But truth, obedience, and love are the three main ideas that we're going to see as we walk through here. And the reason that those are the three main things leads us to the why question. Why he wrote this book. Does anybody know why he wrote the book of 1 John? Say it now. Say it now. To warn. That's absolutely right. To warn people. To warn and encourage. It's kind of that Paul theme that we've gone through over and over again. He's writing to warn about something. He's writing to encourage them in something. Now, the question is, why did he need to warn them? Anybody know? No. Who said it? False teachers. Yeah, false. Hey, over and over. Guys, you're going to see so many times as you walk through, especially books in the New Testament, when these are letters that are written, very often you're going to see somewhere in that book where some kind of false doctrine, some kind of false teaching is addressed. And this is, now we're getting down into the weeds. Does anybody have any idea of what maybe false belief system was being taught besides Cooper? What do you think it is, Cooper? Gnosticism. The G is silent. Gnosticism. But I like it that way. It's kind of like the word gnu. I like that. All right. It's Gnosticism. Anybody know what Gnosticism is? What's that? No clue? No clue? Okay. Here's, the, here's, here's in a nutshell, easy. What do you know? Okay. Okay. Good job. Hey, no, that's, that's good. Simple way to put what she just said. A basic belief in Gnosticism is physical is bad, spirit is good. That, that's a basic, simple way to say that. So here's the problem is that belief system starts creeping into the church. It starts to change the way people view Jesus and, the, and what they believe about him. Because one of the teachings that started to kind of pop up is this, is that if, if the physical is bad and the spiritual is good, then Jesus couldn't have had a physical body. Because if Jesus is good and Jesus is God and, and the body physical is bad, then Jesus couldn't have done something that was bad, so he couldn't have had a physical body. See, there's a problem with that teaching. Because what we understand from Scripture is that there was an incarnation of Jesus Christ. What that means is he was born in a physical form. He existed for all of eternity. He was God 100%, but he was also born as a baby and grew up man 100%. Blows our minds how that can work because it just doesn't in our heads. But we know from Scripture and we know from who God is that that's what happened. 
So we know that teaching is not true. But there were people in the early church that were believing that teaching. Here's another teaching that came out of Gnosticism, is that there was a man named Jesus, but he wasn't God. One of the teachings is that, is that, that when Jesus, right before he began his ministry, when he was baptized, that the Holy Spirit, where we see in Scripture, it says the Holy Spirit descended on him, that in that moment he was inhabited by God, and then the moment before he died on the cross, God left him. So there was a physical man, but he wasn't 100% God all the time, like Scripture tells us he was. See, the problem with that teaching is it messes with the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And if you start messing with the person and the work of Jesus Christ, then every bit of this is not true. And that's why this is being written by John. Because he's trying to address some of these teachings. Because if you get into this and people are starting to believe this, John is trying to correct it. And he's trying to make sure that they don't have a wrong understanding. Because anytime you have a wrong understanding of God's word, you have a wrong living out of God's word. If you don't understand it, then you can't be obedient to it. And you can't live it out the way God intended for us to live that out. And that is why we see those three themes that keep popping up, those truth, obedience, and love. John keeps coming back to that over and over and over as we walk through this book. So tonight we're going to cover chapter 1, 10 verses. It's not like a lot of the books with Paul where I say, hey, tonight we're going to cover chapter 1, verse 1. And that's it. We're going to walk through all 10 verses because John starts this book way differently than Paul starts most of his books. So tonight I have got Mr. Mason coming up and reading for us. Come on up, Mason. And I'm going to ask you guys to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. And we are going to walk through 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Mr. Chad's microphone. There we go. Here you go, sir. Let's do this. Okay. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 1 John chapter 1. Oh. <laughs> Pardon me. Simple mistake. Yes, yes. Easy to make. This way. That was, hey, you're doing a great job. I have it open right here. Would you like to borrow mine? Here you go. You know, they always say that the second try is the charm. (laughs) (laughs) That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and, and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard was proclaimed also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from our righteousness. Of all from all righteousness. Jeez. Oh wait, all unrighteousness. Wow, man, I'm doing great, guys. If if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray, y'all. Let's do this. 
pray for Mason Institute. Jesus. All right. Jesus, thank you so much for bringing us here today so that we may pray together and learn your word together. And uh, please be with the people that are leaving us soon. They, um, they, we all need you, but they need uh, you too. I need you because you know this is really scary being up here and then also here in a couple of weeks leaving you. We're not leaving you, leaving us all here. So, amen. I'm not good at this, y'all. Amen. No, hey, didn't, didn't he do a good job, guys? Hey, if, if you have never come up here and read on a Wednesday night, um, it's a little nerve-wracking for some folks. And, and I know because there's, there's, there's more than a few of you that I've asked and you have turned me down. I'm trying not to make eye contact with anybody right now so I don't single anybody out. But if you ever want to come up here and take a turn reading, let me know because I would love to have you come do this. So, 1 John, 1 John chapter hey. If it makes you feel better, Mason, we are going to talk about those verses you started reading earlier, so that's okay. You did a good job there. I, I, you spoiled it for me. Thank you. I appreciate that. So the first thing we see, that unchanging truth, John jumps right into it. It's the idea that Jesus is real. Let me read those first two verses again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. John does not take any time here to introduce himself or to greet people. He jumps right into it and he says, Jesus is real. Now, we don't see him using Jesus's name yet in these first two verses, but that's what he's talking about when he says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. He's talking about Jesus Christ. In fact, we, as I told you before, we see some of that similar language as you go over to John chapter one, which Mason started for us and read the first five verses there. Listen to the similarities. It says in the very beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John's talking about Jesus. In both of those books, he jumps straight into it, and he says, Jesus is real. He says, we've seen him. We've heard him. We've touched him. He is real. And in both of those passages, John chapter 1 and 1 John chapter 1, at the very beginning, what he's showing us is he's showing us the eternality of Jesus Christ. He's saying, hey, Jesus was there from the beginning. The book of Genesis, we, we see that. We, again, we don't hear Jesus' name, but when, when God is making everything and he goes through and he does all of creation and then he gets to humanity, the phrase that is used is, let us make man in our image. Because Jesus and the Holy Spirit were there from the beginning. And that's what John is trying to make sure that the reader then and the reader now understands is that Jesus is eternal. He was, he always has been, he is, he always will be. Not only that he's eternal, but also that as we talked about earlier, he's incarnate. That means he had a physical body at one point in time. That means he was 100% God still. He did not give that up, but he also assumed 100% 
humanity. Scripture tells us he grew up as we grew up, maybe not in the technological world that we have, but as a person with the thoughts and the feelings and the temptations. But the difference is, Scripture tells us he never sinned. That's how we know he was God. Because you and I, as humans, as people, we don't have that capability. Only God could do that. Only Jesus could do that. And John goes on in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. He says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. He says, we've seen it, we've heard it, we've touched it, and the it is Jesus. He was here in the flesh from God, and John and the other disciples and the other people that saw Jesus, they were eyewitnesses to what he did. They were there. They heard him talk. They walked with him. They learned from him. They ate with him. They lived all of this because they know Jesus is real. And now because they know that Jesus is real, they can proclaim it to everyone else they come in contact with. Did you know all John is doing right here in this passage is fulfilling what Jesus charged he and the other disciples to do? We call it a big fancy title. We call it the Great Commission. But in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, it says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's all John is doing. John has been with Jesus. John has experienced life with Jesus. And he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt, 100% that Jesus is real. And because he knows that truth and he knows that is unchanging, he can tell that to anybody and everybody that he meets. What about you? Is Jesus real in your life? Have you come to that point, that realization? You know, you, you've got a lot of things going on. Every single person in this room, we come from different families. We come from different backgrounds. Maybe you've been raised up in a different church or a different denomination. You've heard different things about Jesus. But have you ever gotten into Scripture and understood that Jesus is real? He's not a story that people made up long ago just to get people to live according to a set of moral guidelines. No, He's God. He was a person in the flesh. I mean, my goodness, he changed history. <laughs> Our dating system is based off of the birth of Jesus Christ. He was real. And he's just as real today as he was then. And when we understand that, when we know who He is, when He is real in our life, John talks about it right there. He talks about this fellowship that we can have. He says, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And when we back up, that which you have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son and with Jesus Christ. He's talking about this idea that if you understand that Jesus is real, then you've got the opportunity to put your faith and trust in Him. You have the opportunity to be forgiven of your sin, to experience salvation, and that puts you in fellowship not just with God and with Jesus, but it puts you in fellowship with other believers. 
You've heard me say this before. You, as a Christian, as a disciple, as a believer, as somebody who's been forgiven, you don't walk with God by yourself. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are surrounded by people every single day that are on a similar journey as you. Maybe they have a different family. Maybe they have a different background. Maybe their struggles aren't the same as yours. But Lord willing, they are still trying to pursue Jesus every single day. And there is a fellowship in that to know that we don't have to do this alone. When we struggle, when we hurt, when we celebrate, when there's joy, we get to do it together. And that's what John's talking about right here. He's saying, you may not have the same story as everybody else, but there is something that is the same in your story. And it's the fact that you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You know that Jesus is God. You know that He is real. You can know and believe in Him for your salvation and know that that never changes. Do you know you can't lose your salvation? Have you ever heard that before? You can't be bad enough once you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ that you're going to lose your salvation because if you could lose your salvation you would scripture tells us we are held by the hand of God when we put our faith and trust in him now that whole sanctification process of do you still pursue the things that are sinful when you put your faith and trust in Jesus no that's what John's talking about in the next part of this chapter so when I say you can't do anything bad enough to lose your salvation well the point is if you're following God you're not pursuing the things that would cause you to disobey God. But you don't hold your salvation in your hand. Because if you did, it would crumble. God holds you. And we can know that is true because Scripture shows us over and over and over that Jesus is who He said He is, and He does what He says He will do. And that brings us to the second truth. If Jesus is real... Jesus calls us to pursue holiness. Look at 1 John 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. In that one verse, what John is doing is he is proclaiming the holiness of God. He's saying God is light and there is no darkness. I, have, have you ever been in a room that's like total darkness? And by total darkness, I mean you can't even see the hand in front of your face. Have you ever been in a room like that? Some people have. A lot of us haven't because there's always some source of light. We've got this thing in our room. I bought a couple years ago, I bought one of those little robot vacuum cleaners for Miss Kathleen. And it's, the, I mean, it's a nice one too. Amazon deal. It's the only reason we got it. It's got like the, the, the bag where, or the, the little thing where it empties itself into the box or whatever. I don't even know how to describe it. It's a really cool thing. But at night, there's a light on it. And it's this blue light. It's blue, right? I hate that light. Because it is so bright. In a dark room, it's like somebody might as well turn on a big stinking floodlight in our bedroom. Because that light, every time I turn over, if my eyes open a little bit, it's like blue. It's that light shining in the darkness. Because darkness and light can't exist together. It's not possible. Darkness is always run off by the light. And what he's saying right here is he's saying, God is light. 
and in him is no darkness at all. He's proclaiming the holiness of God. He's saying sin, evil, disobedience to God, they can't coexist with who God is. It doesn't work. He even says this in um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. I want to read this passage for you. It says, As obedient children, this is written to believers, this is written to disciples. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. It means if you say you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, don't pursue the things you pursued before. It says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. What that means is if you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then He has called you to pursue holiness, and there is no room for messing around or dabbling in the darkness. There's no room for it. Number one, Scripture tells us that God changes our heart and God changes our desires. That may take a little bit of time, but over time, there's no room for that. You, you guys know what it looks like to kind of just feel something out or dabble your foot in it. Um, how many of you went to camp this summer? Good number of you. Do you remember that river water? That refreshing river water? Here's what I saw some of you do. I know because I did the same thing. You walked up and you just kind of touched it with your foot. And then, and then maybe you put your foot in and got up to your ankles and, and you just kind of dabbled in it. And especially as, as the goosebumps spread from your ankles all the way up your body and you went, <laughs> and you got a little bit of cold. That's what that looks like. You're testing it out. You're trying it. You're seeing what's going to happen. And yet what he's saying right here, you can't do that. When it comes to sin, you, you, you can't stick your toes in and try it out. Because it says right here that if you're called to pursue Jesus, if you're called to pursue who he's called you to be, that means you're called to pursue holiness and you can't even play around with that junk because it'll get a hold of you. I've told you guys this before. You're either moving towards God or you're moving away from God. There is no complacency. You're doing one of the two things. And that's what he's helping us understand here. In fact, he says, you can't claim to follow God if you are not pursuing holiness. That's a bold claim, but listen to what he says in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's like this. How many Bulldog fans do we have in here? Absolutely. I'm always passionate about that one. Some of y'all are like, meh, maybe. Bulldog fans. Keep your hands up. Let's see it. Okay. Here's a couple of you. So here's the thing. Is anybody going to believe that you're a Bulldogs fan if you're walking around wearing Florida Gator gear all the time? No, they're not. Now the Gator fans got excited. But nobody's going to believe it. You can't show up at the Florida-Georgia game decked out in Albert the Alligator in orange and blue and go, Go dogs! And really mean it! Because nobody, hey, nobody's going to believe you. You know why? Because what you say isn't lining up with what you do. And we laugh about that example, 
but we do the same thing as believers in Jesus Christ. A lot of times we'll say the right things. Yes, I believe in God. Yes, I know Jesus has forgiven me. Yes, I know what I'm supposed to do and I'm following him and I'm passionate about him. And we say all of that and then we live something absolutely different. And John is saying, you can't do that. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you know that you have put your faith and trust in him, you can't claim to be a Christian and live like you don't know Christ. I heard this statement recently on a podcast. It said, agreement is not disobedience, or agreement is not obedience. And if you don't understand what that means, it means you can agree with what scripture says, or let's, let's make it personal. You can agree with what your parents tell you to do, but that doesn't mean you do it. You can agree what the right thing is, but it doesn't mean you choose to do the right thing. You can agree with what scripture says, but if you're not obedient to it, then are you a Christian? Now, that doesn't mean we won't mess up. That does not mean we won't make mistakes. Just because you say, hey, you know what? I know I was saved, but I did this one stupid thing. Does that mean I'm not a Christian? No, what that means is you're still a sinner. But is the pattern of your life pursuing holiness? Or is the pattern of your life pursuing your own pleasure? That's the distinct difference. And that's what John is trying to help us understand here. And then he goes on here and he says in verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We are not perfect and we never will be. But anyone that tells you they don't have a sin problem is a liar. Not my words, John's. And he goes on in verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we, have, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. There was a book that I read a long time ago. It's by a guy by the name of Josh McDowell um, called More Than a Carpenter. Anybody here ever read this book? There's a couple of you. If you're interested, I've, I've got several copies of this. You can have one before you leave tonight. But this guy right here set out to prove that Jesus was not real. That first statement that's not changing. In fact, let me read the back part to you. It says, Skeptic Josh McDowell thought Christians were out of their minds. He ridiculed and insulted them, then decided to combat them with his own thorough research to disprove the claims of Jesus Christ. He didn't believe that Jesus was real. To his surprise, he discovered the evidence suggested exactly the opposite that Jesus, instead of being simply a first-century Hebrew carpenter, truly was the God he claimed to be. And guys, this has happened to people over and over and over again. They set out to prove that Jesus is not real, and they end up believing in Jesus. In fact, there's a chapter in here. It's called Lord, Liar, or Lunatic. And he says, you have to decide that Jesus is one of those three. Either he was a liar... Either he was the best liar there ever was and he convinced a whole lot of people that he told the truth or he was crazy because he actually believed what he said about himself or he's Lord. And you have to pick one. You can't say he was all of them or none of them. You have to pick one. But if you know that Jesus is real, then you have to know that Jesus calls us to pursue holiness every single minute of every single day. 
And when you and I understand that we have a sin problem, when we recognize that, when we admit that, when we confess that to God, when we hear the gospel, you understand this, you can hear the gospel and you can agree that it's a good thing. You can understand that it's necessary. Yes, Jesus did what Jesus had to do and never submit your life to it. Agreement is not obedience. John is telling us right here, if you're going to agree to it, you've got to submit to it. You've got to pursue the holiness that God calls us to. And these truths never change. Jesus is real. He always was. He always will be. And if you put your faith and trust in Him, Jesus calls us to pursue holiness. And we can know that because Jesus never changes. We know from Scripture, He gave up His life on a cross. He paid the debt that you and I could not pay. He took the punishment that you and I were owed for our sin. He was buried in a tomb. Three days later, under His own power, rose, rose, raised, raised, raised Himself, raised Himself from the grave. No other religious leader has ever been able to do that because no other one has ever been God in the flesh. And in that moment, he defeated death. He defeated sin once and for all. And he did that so that you and I could know him. He did that so that you and I could understand our need for a savior and be forgiven of our sin. And you have to decide, are you going to trust that truth? You're gonna hear a lot of messages this next school year. You're going to be told a lot of different things at school about who God is and who God is not and what you should believe and what you shouldn't believe. Those of you that have graduated and you're going off to the military or you're going off to work, whatever it is, you're going to experience other people telling you what to believe and who God is. You need to spend time in God's word for yourself. You need to understand that Jesus is real. And that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he has called you to pursue holiness. And that is a truth that never changes. For some of you in here tonight, you've never come to that realization yourself. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus because you've never acknowledged that he is real and that he's got a plan for you. You can do that tonight if you want to. You can make the choice once and for all to trust him and to pursue what he has for your life. And there's no special prayer you have to pray for that. You don't have to come up here. You can do it right in your seat. You simply tell God, I'm I'm a sinner. God, I can't fix myself. I need your forgiveness. I need what Jesus did on the cross to forgive me of my sin. And I want to follow you with my life. Those are my words. They're not magic. But Scripture tells us you believe in your heart what Jesus did for you, and you confess with your mouth that he is Lord of your life, Scripture says, you will be saved. And then you can know that Jesus is real, without a doubt, from this moment forward. And you can begin to pursue the holiness that he calls us to pursue every single moment of every single day, at home, at school, on the field, in band, in art, in your clubs, at work, all of those different places. Are you trusting tonight in your life that Jesus is real and are you following the call he has put on your life to pursue holiness everywhere you go?
you got a lot of changes coming in the next couple weeks. This is constant. This will never change. And this will never let you down. If you trust in it. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for books like this where we see the urgency of what's happening. God, where John doesn't do a whole bunch of introductions, but he just gets right into it because it is so important that we understand these truths. God, I pray right now that you'll help us to live that out. God, I pray for every single person in this room. Lord, I pray that if they don't know you tonight, God, that tonight you'll make yourself real in their life. God, that tonight they'll understand the holiness that you've called each one of us to. And God, for everybody in this room tonight, including myself, that that knows you, that has asked you to forgive us, God, help us to pursue that holiness, knowing that we make mistakes, but knowing that that's not the end because you call us to something more than ourselves. You call us to you. God, I pray that you'll help us to do that tonight. I pray that you'll help us to pursue what is true and what is unchanging according to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.